Podmod Bonds. Welcome back to another episode of Podular Modcast. Today we have Martha Barr, aka Panic Girl, on the show. And Martha is a jack of all trades. She is a very talented individual, and we get into uh, all the different aspects of her musical talent in this episode. But let's let's uh, do some announcements first before we get into that chat. Um, I want to just mention that Modular Nights uh, here in Seattle. On May 4th, May the 4th be with you, Star Wars Day, Saturday um, at the substation starting at 4 p.m. Uh, I will be, I'll be hosting that event. So uh, yeah, I would love to, love to chat with you if you want to come and check it out. I think everybody's going to be doing Star Wars influenced or related patches. There might be some dressing up involved. I don't know. Um, I thought, I thought we were nerdy enough with our, uh, with our modular systems, but apparently our nerdiness knows no bounds. Let's listen to a Panic Girl track from the Breeze EP. The song is called Magic. While we uh, get into some business here real quick. Got a couple shout outs and uh, Cool Kid Club inductions um, for the, uh, the, the Patreon. So if you would like for me to shout your name out or uh, officially induct you into the PodMod Cool Kid Club, go check out... Uh, uh, patreon.com forward slash podular modcast there are also some other really cool uh, uh, tiers and I'm going to uh, be I, I know I've, I know I've been saying this but I'm it's it's literally just waiting on my artist to finish uh, the designs but we're gonna have t-shirts and stickers soon so it's another incentive to go check out the patreon because uh, patreon subscribers will have quicker access to that kind of stuff and yeah so but anyways to the task at hand we have uh we have a cool kid tyler gilmore i'm not i don't think i inducted you yet so um yeah welcome tyler you are officially a pod mod cool kid and then i got a shout out to sam chittenden so thank you sam for becoming a uh a subscriber and if you would like to help keep the leds blinking over here at pod mod go check out patreon.com forward slash podular modcast there is also a Discord server now that is, uh, it's, 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 it's a, a guy named Justin Benjamin uh, created this for like the Seattle community. So there's, it's, there's just all sorts of different um, threads, I guess you'd call them. I still don't know much about Discord. Um, so there's like a Modular Nights one, a Modular on the Spot, and, uh, but there's also a Podular Modcast uh, Discord server. So if you want to jump on there and, uh, start chatting with each other and chat with me that that could be really fun um so if you go to uh discordapp.com and look for uh all caps sea noise so seattle noise that is uh, the the overall umbrella server and then there's yeah the, the podmod one is is somewhere in there so uh yeah i'm interested to see what kind of cool stuff could come out of that so so jump on there and start shouting at me so there's this uh, this album I want to talk to you guys about. It's uh, it's by an artist named Verzarin, uh, aka Joe Bauer. Uh, it's called Robots vs. Aliens, and it's on Aerozine 50 Records. So go to aerozine50.bandcamp.com to check it out. And this track that just faded up now is uh, is actually called Humanity Sheds Industrialism, and it's from that album. This album is is very unique in that. Uh, it contains, if you, if you go there and purchase it, you get the digital album, you get one physical letter, one physical journal page, and eight illustrated postcards. Now, this sound, you're maybe thinking, what, what does that mean? Um, so you purchase this package, you'll immediately get the digital download, and then the story, the concept of it, will be revealed through uh, the artifacts, aka letters, music, and illustrated postcards. And they get ma- mailed to you one by one over the span of about two weeks. So I... I I was in on this process and it was, it was a whole lot of fun to get like this physical stuff in the mail with these, these weird messages and really, really cool illustrations on them. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend you check that out. So we're going to be doing a giveaway, um, on my Instagram page. So go look at my Instagram page and repost the, uh, the video and, and tag PodMod, Verzarin and, uh, and Arizine 50 in your repost and we'll add you to the list and we'll do a draw in probably a week or two and uh, you'll get to experience this this, uh, this cool concept album so yeah thanks uh, thank you Joe for for uh, sending me that stuff it was it was really fun 
And uh, if you want me to talk about your album, you know, s- send me some stuff. Send me a download code, and I will get to it. Uh, and and there's some people still waiting for that. I know you sent me stuff a few weeks back, but I have uh, kind of got a backlog. So again, I know I've, I've been saying this for a while, but if you have sent something to me, don't worry. I uh, I will get to it soon, hopefully. Um, yeah, but yeah, just keep sending it in. It's really it's really cool to listen to it. And something that I mentioned a few episodes back, uh, Benjamin Hines from uh, Dwarfcraft Devices, uh, he released his new album Deep and uh, on 420, and it's, it's really cool. So uh, don't forget to check that out. All right, we're going to chat with Martha Barr, a.k.a. Panic Girl, here in a moment, but let's, uh, let's check out some demos. All right, we're going to continue our deep dive into the stereo dipole filter from Steady State Fate. And uh, today I want to try out one of the, um, the patch recipes in the cheat sheet from the SSF website. Um, they're calling it a ping slash pluck. And they, uh, so what you do is you patch a fast trigger or an envelope function into the uh, A and B inputs and you adjust the frequency and the spread if you're using the dipole outputs, which we will, to adjust uh, the single or multi-tone sound that you want. Uh, you can adjust the resonance to alter the decay of the ping and pluck. So let's just really quick, I've got the uh, 4MS shuffling clock multiplier going into... Uh, the A and B inputs. Let's just check out the pole A output real quick. And then we'll mess with the resonance knob here. So that's pretty cool. Um, And I've got uh, pole A in high pass mode and I'm using the voltage block from uh, Maleco to uh, control the one volt per octave of the stereo input. So let's check out the uh, the pole B output now. We can mess with the resonance of that. Now let's bring these dipoles in. It's, uh, we'll bring dipole A in. Now as I mess with the spread knob, you can hear, I can tune that. So, I like it as kind of like a bass tone there. Let's bring the dipole B up in, mess with the spread knob there. So that's pretty fun, but of course, all modules get way more fun when you start messing with some of the CB inputs. So I've got a pretty fast uh, pulse coming out of channel one and maths, and that's going into the resonance A input. So let's bring that up into the mix. And then I've got channel four from maths with a similar but different uh, trigger going into it and going into the resonance B input, so let's bring that into the mix. And let's bring, let's uh, let's produce some stuff from the Microvolt 3900 from Pittsburgh Modular. Let's bring the LFO pulse into the stereo FM input. function generator from the microvolt going into the FMB input. Manually mess with the stereo frequency. Uh, let's put, I'm using this uh, little ornament in crime that I got from After Later Audio. It's, uh, it's the micro version, so it's 8 HP. Very nice. Just got hemispheres loaded up, so I'll use the skewed LFO to mess with the spread A. And then I'm going to use the vector LFO to mess with the spread B. Thank you. 
And there you have it. The, uh, the ping pluck patch for the stereo dipole filter. Be sure to check out uh, steadystatefate.com to learn more about it and check out uh, pittsburghmodular.com to uh, check out the Microvolt 3900. And uh, I don't know, man. After later is killing it with this, this little ornament and crime. I'm, I'm loving it. Uh, go check them out as well. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's, uh, it's, I want to talk to more people over, uh, you know, in, in Europe and whatnot, but it's, it's hard to because of the time difference and my job schedule. So I'm glad we could make this work and, uh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. Um, so I don't know really where to start with, with, uh, with our conversation, but, um, you have a really interesting section in the patch and tweak book, um, which I want to talk about how you got involved with that in a little bit, but, um, it kind of, your, your section starts with, uh, the story of you finding your, your first modular system and kind of the first time you've ever played with a modular system. Mm -hmm. What is your history up until then? as far as music goes? Um, I think actually that uh, I knew I wanted to be involved with music as a little girl when I was very small mm -hmm. because my parents, they listened to music um, very much as often as possible, like at home, in vacation, in the car and uh, everywhere. And um, they also had like parties regularly where someone would bring a guitar along and play a song and they would dance and sing. And I, I think that was a huge part of my life as well. And I always loved to sing as well and dance along and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I think I knew that already when I really was very small. And um, that's what I luckily could do over the years now to be involved with music in uh, the one or other way. And yeah, I learned later on to sing a bit more properly and, and play the piano and play the guitar. I played in a band in school then mm. as a, I was a guitarist and a singer there. And um, after that, I um, studied. I decided to study at the School of Audio Engineering um, in Munich and from there I just worked as an audio engineer in several jobs so uh, yeah I'm very lucky to be able to live that passion actually yeah that is that's kind of the dream of almost everybody who gets into music at an early age so I'm, I'm happy to hear that you found a way to uh, to make it your your day-to-day -day life um, so piano and guitar kind of were your your main instruments then um, through your your early adolescence into you know college age yes exactly okay i had piano lessons when i was very young like uh, i think i was eight years old guitar came later on and um yeah i i always fiddled around at home as well and i don't know when i got my first like recording device and then some effects to record but i think i was about like 17 or 16 when all the, the band stuff started. Okay. And what kind of music were you listening to and what kind of music were you making then when you first started recording and, and experimenting with making your own um, type of music? Um, back then, I listened very much to music, actually like my parents uh -huh. did as well, like, like Pink Floyd and The Doors. And um, I also listened very much as my band colleagues as well to bands like Tool. For example, okay. I don't know if you yeah. know them. Oh, They're yeah. one of my top five bands. I love them very much. And we tried a bit to go in that, that direction as uh -huh. well. But I think it's impossible to be similar to them. Yeah, Dan Danny Carey is quite quite the drummer. There's not a lot like him out there. Yeah, that's true. Also, I think everybody of that band, they, they yeah, have such a all, chemistry. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, you're right. The rhythms are very very unique and so we try to 
get in that direction, but <laughs> yeah, it wasn't really <laughs> not as good, of course. <laughs> okay. Well, I could see with, with influences like Pink Floyd and then Tool later on, um, I could see how that could maybe start pushing you in, in a, like more of a synthesizer, um, you know, audio engineering direction. W were there any, were there any big bands that kind of pulled you or artists that pulled you more into the electronic realm and got you more into synthesizers or... Yes, um, definitely. Massive Attack. Okay. Yeah. So when I discovered Massive Attack, they influenced me uh, very, very much. And um, yeah, and that's, I think, where I really started seriously making music on my own as well. Okay. I'm curious also, with, so you studied audio engineering. Did you start getting into to synths um, when you were kind of doing uh, your own recording with like little devices at your house? Or were synthesizers something you found after you started studying the audio engineering? Maybe both like simultaneously. Okay. Some friends had synthesizers for sure. And also at the um, School of Audio Engineering, we had like lessons about uh, synthesizers as well. And they had studios where you could test them, the synthesizers. And then I eventually bought my first synthesizer that was a Virus TE um, back then. So that was my first experience with that. Yeah, I just... I. I I love uh, I love the world of audio engineering. I'm I've, I'm mostly self-taught, so I'm, I you know I don't really know what I'm doing, but I still I still love doing it. And um, when I first started making electronic music, I found the most enjoyable aspect for me was actually the mixing and arranging within my DAW. That was that was kind of uh, that was my favorite part, and that's what I I did most most of my like work was done in there and i saw in your your uh, patch and tweak segment that you you talked about using modular to kind of get away from the daw and i did something similar um and i i did that because i felt like maybe i was uh relying too heavy on it or or was starting to do the same things over and over and it wasn't quite um i wasn't quite getting what i was looking for um what was what was kind of your main reason for trying to step outside of the box of a DAW and and get more hands on I think what you said was uh, the same with me that I realized that I'm doing the same things over and over like the same tricks the same maybe instruments you're using or uh, similar synth voices in your DAW and um I wanted to break out from that a little bit Though in the beginning, I think I really used the modular as a sampling device more mm -hmm. to integrate it into my tracks that I did as Panic Girl. Mm -hmm. And then I discovered with all the modules like the Renee, it was a real mind opener for me that you could have a sequencer that doesn't run from, you know, like from one to eight straight forward. But uh -huh. <laughs> I think you, you know it, the Rene, it's uh, yeah. like a coordinate system. Yeah, the, the Cartesian, I think. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And where it uh, just jumps from location to location and you don't know exactly where it jumps next. So that was such a great experience that you can program the notes but you don't know what melody comes next and it's ever evolving mm -hmm. all the time. And that was so great that I realized, wow, you can compose in a totally different way than I did before. And that's when I enjoyed it more and more to stay out of the door and compose only with the modular more and more. So now when you say you initially used um, your modular system for samples, you were, you were creating samples and to then bring in, not, not using sampler modules, right? Is that what you mean? Yeah, mm -hmm, uh, exactly, yeah. Okay, cool. That, and that's actually why I, I kind of wanted to get one initially, too. I thought maybe because I, I was using, I would make my own samples outside with drum machines or whatever, and then I would end up cutting them up in the DAW and looping them in a plug-in effects to them. And I thought maybe I could create cool, cooler and more interesting samples. And then kind of the same thing happened. I found just different ways of, of playing the modular system as a, as an instrument. And then it's, it's just been that way since <laughs> I haven't stopped doing it. Um, so I have a question about your, your use of pedals. Um, and I think you, you kind of alluded to the answer already, but so you were playing guitar and using pedals beforehand. And so you still use pedals like the Earthquaker Avalanche Run. I've heard you mention a few times and I've seen it on, you know, on your Instagram, I think. And do you prefer pedals to, to effects modules? Um, or what, what, why do you still use pedals? Cause I, I, I just started using pedals again with my modular setup and I'm just curious what, what it mm -hmm. is about pedals that you like. 
Um, I think with the Avalanche Run, it was just I was searching for a nice reverb module as well. Mm -hmm. And the Avalanche Run, it was just the sound because I didn't find anything exactly that suited my taste as a module. And I thought, yeah, maybe why not use a pedal? Then I have a little bit more space in the in the case for other stuff. So, yeah, and I also have the Muga Fuga ring modulator. Mm -hmm. I think that has a very unique uh, sound as well. So um, if I don't find the sound that I want as a module, then I go for a pedal. I think that's that's the main reason for me. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, that that makes sense. I I mostly do it for the space reasons and I don't I I I don't think I'm experienced enough with modular to to use pe um effects in a way that isn't just kind of a traditional use of a delay or reverb. So for right now I don't think I need to take up the space in my rack if I'm just using uh delay and reverb in like mm. yeah, like a traditional sense. Um so so your the story in the patch and tweak section kind of it it's it's a short section and I kind of want to hear your maybe just the longer version of you <laughs> you go into the store and you find this A100 system were you going into that synth shop to find something new or were you just kind of going in there randomly um and did you how much did you know about modular beforehand and I kind of want to paint that picture because it sounds like an interesting story Mm -hmm, sure. I got to mention that I'm now working as a audio engineer and composer for about, I think, 15 years now. And I'm regularly searching for new instruments that inspire me. I guess yeah. <laughs> everybody knows that <laughs> phenomenon. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just uh, went there to have a look for a new instrument. I went to the synthesizer department. I saw it standing that Depfer system, and I didn't know um, what it was. I've never seen one before, never heard of one before, but I just saw this silver beauty, and it was just uh, <laughs> I love at first sight. I, I knew I wanted to make music with that instrument and wanted to learn how to use it, and uh, it looked so, I don't know, so techy, sci-fi. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just fascinating. So... um and yeah, I'm fascinated ever since and still in love with that. And it's really just uh, just makes so much fun doing music with it. Yeah, it's just so open-ended. So I imagine as a composer, um, and, and do you do like film scoring stuff? I'm not doing film scoring stuff, but um, I'm working at the public radio station here in Munich. Okay. And so I'm composing music for features. Okay. And, and how much do modular plays into that? Um, from time to time, not all the time, because when I'm um, at the studios there at the radio station, they don't have a modular Then I'm using mostly uh, software. But from time to time, I can also do like home office, mm -hmm. <laughs> what is very nice, of course. And uh, then I use everything I have here and as well the modular. And uh, yeah, I think it's a totally different way to compose and totally different sounds I can get out of it and... It brings just a different flavor to all the compositions. Yeah, and I, I imagine there. Well, actually, I'll just ask how much, how much of a difference is there in process, in feel, and then ultimately in sound with what you make for your your segments at the radio program with with like software instruments, and then what you do on your own with like your your modular setup. I think it's generally um, when you compose with a modular, it's very meditative and it's also when you know that when you unpatch your case it's gone i guess forever mm -hmm. <laughs> depends of course on how complex it is but if it's a little bit more complex than the usual just um kick snare stuff then usually you can't recreate that patch so i'm composing them totally differently because i know i have to make that work now mm -hmm. Um, until I unpatch it and make the most out of it um, because, yeah, I just can't recall it, I can't save it. And that's exactly the, the other side of software. You can make a thousand versions and you can really get lost in that or tweak uh, on the kick drum with uh, thousands of plugins to get the uh, sound right. And that's where I can get lost easily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's another challenge. And uh, with the module, it's very meditative somehow that you really get into that one patch and make it work. And um, yeah, I think it's beautiful. 
Yeah, sometimes you know, like you you get into that patch, and then all of a sudden, an hour and a half has gone by, and you, <laughs> yes. it feels like ten minutes. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I could see that the the danger of, especially if you're working, I imagine at your your job doing the the compositions for the radio station. I imagine that there's there's some some deadlines, and having the the open ended. Uh, nature of like the DAW and all the different plugins and effects you can do and, and sit there with, you know, a million different kick samples to get. Um, I imagine that that could be kind of a weird, um, kind of a weird stress to put on you. Like you want to make it as good as possible, but you also have, have some sort of deadline. Um, Definitely. But, yeah. Yeah. I, I imagine you have your ways of dealing with doing it long enough. You know, when it's maybe not like perfect for you, but when you know, it's like going to be, still good for other people to listen to like have you i'm sure you have that that figured out right yeah like, i have i have um i'm starting with the composition mainly and with the arrangement and um i also of course have to talk with the authors if they like the sound then or not or if i have to do some revisions for example and um so i focus on the arrangement side of things at first and then i use every minute then to mix it okay. and master it i also <laughs> like to sleep over it until i have to master the sound so i just go there with fresh ears mm -hmm. and have some reference files then till the deadline i just use every minute to get the most out of the mixing and mastering side yeah the the sleeping on it is is i've found to be very useful if i'm if i'm working on a mix or something sometimes i'll get I'll get so lost in it and my ears will get so fatigued that I think that this thing that I, that I loved, you know, a few hours ago is now something that I, I, I don't even love at all anymore. And if I, I find <laughs> I if, know I, that, yeah. Yeah, if I step away from it for a little bit and come back, I'll be like, okay, yeah, I know, I know what I liked about it. And I just kind of let myself uh, just get a little tired and, and spin out on it. Um, I'm curious. I want to talk a little bit more about the radio station work you do because it's pretty fascinating to me. Um, do you do they give you kind of a recorded segment um, for you to kind of work around, or do they tell you what it's about, or do they just kind of tell you, "Hey, we need a feel like this"? Like, how much information about the story do you have, and then what kind of timeline is that? Like, how many days do you get for a specific story? Because I imagine with news, it's got to be rather quick. Um, yeah, for news, I'm not doing the music usually because okay. they would need it too quickly mm -hmm. for me to compose something, usually more for um, long-term features. Okay. They usually don't have something recorded yet because it's too early in that stage, but they have a, um, how do you say, manuscript? Uh, mm -hmm. like a yeah, manuscript. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they, they give me what they have already written down and uh, we meet usually and they tell me what they want to tell with this feature, what story they want to tell, and also in which direction they want to go sound-wise. I always ask for some sound samples, just something that goes into the direction, okay. because I found that it's very, very difficult to just describe what you want to have, because if they say... It should sound like, um, I once even had that example that somebody said, it should sound like electronic and dark. And I did uh -huh. exactly that, like electronic sounds with a dark feel. And after listening to it, she said, oh, no, that's not really exactly what I wanted in the first place. It should sound like the music you did for the other feature. In, in the other feature, I used um, orchestral sounds. And it in my ears, it sounded quite happy. Uh -huh. So uh, <laughs> it's so difficult to, to describe with words what you... Because also for me, maybe a song that sounds lovely and, and, and happy is for the other person a little bit gloomy or slightly melancholic it really depends on the day also what's going on in yourself on that day and and all those um different things that play into it so uh i always ask for some uh yeah sound sample or uh, or a band that yeah sounds a little bit like it what they have in mind and then i go from there okay yeah that's so funny i i've i've had that myself uh, um with some of the albums that i made a few years ago people are like oh it's just so dark and i was like oh r really i didn't 
I didn't mean it to be, you know, they're like, what were you, you know, <laughs> it sounds like you. Yeah, I had the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've had people that sound, tell me like, a couple songs sounded like Nine Inch Nails or something. And I was like, I don't even listen. Oh, wow. to nine, I cool. don't even listen to Nine Inch Nails. That's weird. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's just, it's funny what other people hear. And uh, I think people who aren't maybe uh, steeped or exposed to the, uh, to the electronic world, especially the modular world and, and the ambient experimental nature of all of that, um, what we think is dark might actually give some people some serious nightmares or something. <laughs> um, maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm curious where you got your name, Panic Girl, because I think it's really cool. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so bad at um, thinking of good names, mm -hmm. especially artist names. So I was thinking about an artist name for, I don't know, one or two years um, back then. <laughs> and uh, I didn't find anything I liked very much. So I went went with a friend of mine for a beer and we just uh, yeah brainstormed a bit. And he came with the name Panic Girl and I just said, okay, that's <laughs> it. I'm staying with it. So. <laughs> Now, are you, are you prone to, to panic or, or like anxiety or anything like that? Does it have any any uh foundation in reality or does it just sound cool um when i am going on stage for example then of course i'm uh -huh. nervous a bit or something like that but i'm not really uh, like sweating and panicking yeah. or screaming <laughs> or whatever so that would be a bit too much <laughs> i think so you um so you have a few albums under the name panic girl and uh And these are all self-produced, right? So it looks like you started in 2010. Exactly. Yeah. Was modular in the picture then, and like, or or when when did uh, when did the modular come into play as far as like your your Panic Girl project? Um, the modular came into place um, about eight or nine years ago, and it was not on the first album. Okay. So um, after that, I used it um, as I mentioned for sampling cool sounds. Mm-hmm. And um, now I'm integrating it for the Pentacle stuff, also with my computer and with other hardware I have here, like the Jomox X-Base that I love very much, the drum machine. Uh -huh. Or um, I also have the Casio ZZ5000. Uh -huh. I like the sound very much as well <clears throat> of that one. I associate it often with uh, gaming sounds. Uh -huh. And I also have the ARP 2600 sounds really amazing and yeah. uh, I usually use everything depending on my mood and what I want to achieve for the tune that I'm making and I'm um, also playing with Anatole Locker as Lucid Grain and for that project I'm mainly using the modular okay. solo most of the time so maybe with the pedals as well and for some gigs maybe the Jomox but yeah usually mostly the case Okay. Well, you just answered a few of my next questions, I think, but ah. I'd, I'd like to maybe get into <laughs> okay. a little bit more detail. I'm just, I'm, I'm curious, especially with your, um, with, uh, the amount of skills you have from auto audio engineering to being able to play and sing, you know, multiple and playing multiple instruments. Um, when you're going to maybe like, I guess let's, let's, con let's contrast the difference between maybe a writing and recording session for just panic girl stuff versus lucid grain. And then mm -hmm. um, live versus studio stuff. So with the Panic Girl stuff, as I mentioned, I try to just use whatever comes in mind, what inspires me most in that moment. I usually start with, I need for starters always a sound that inspires me somehow. Like it can be a sample or it can be a, a pad sound that I'm patching on the modular or some some granular stuff, for example, mostly something melodic. Mm -hmm. And from there, it just evolves. When I found this initial sound that inspires me, then it's just like, I don't know, I'm in a meditative zone somehow, and uh -huh. it just happens um, that everything else falls into place somehow. And uh, yeah, I think that's with Panic Girl. And um, with Lucid Grain, it's... More like um, Anatole and I, we usually prepare a patch without knowing what the other one is doing. <laughs> what, <laughs> when we first met for a jam session, we did it that way and it turned out so good. We just loved the, the patch and what came out of it. 
that we just stayed with that concept for the first album at least. We then just meet and adjust the tuning because that's important, of course. But mm -hmm. the rest we just figure out during the jam. And we are also recording the same patch in one evening for about three to five times. Uh -huh. And uh, one of those jams gets a track maybe on an album or something like that. Okay, yeah, that's that's similar how I do it. I'll just take take a patch and maybe record five takes of it and pick the, my favorite one. Mm -hmm, yeah, and we already also have a second album in the works, and for that album we worked a little bit different. So, uh, for example, Anatole sent me a little sketch so I could prepare a little bit more on point to what he had prepared. Though I think uh, we, we will go back to the more wild, <laughs> how we did it on the first album, because... I don't know, it, it sounded totally differently because the second album sounds more composed and more thought through, mm -hmm. maybe. And the first one is just, yeah, more wild, more um, in the moment, more spontaneous. Yeah, I like that very much about it. And um, for the other question, um, live versus mm. yeah. studio, mm -hmm. mostly I play with Anatole Live these days. Mm -hmm. So when we start patching the cases up for a gig, it, we take about, let's say, six weeks or seven weeks for that. Because it, it can't be too long because the case is then blocked uh -huh. for other stuff. And then we prepare a patch for the gig and rehearse it as well. So we also record it. I think that is a very important part for me. Because it always sounds different when you play it yourself in the moment uh -huh. and when you listen to it afterwards, you can more listen to it like a listener in the audience, I think. So uh, that always gives some more hints on, on what you could do better or or what segments were too long, for example. So so you're recording each rehearsal and then listening to that like in the in the time in between that rehearsal and the next and then kind of discussing with each other what you found from listening it. That's such mm -hmm. that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> um, yeah, that's very helpful for us. Yeah, um, I can't imagine having I've I've never had my system patched for more than maybe a week, so I can't imagine going 6 weeks. That's, that's yeah, that's crazy. that's quite long. It's uh, I'm always just waiting for the second I can unpatch it after <laughs> the kick. That's the first thing I'm doing. And <laughs> so one thing I think a, a lot of, it, I mean, maybe not be a challenge to every modular artist, but it's it's something that I've thought of. And when you have albums that you've released, and then you're going to go play a show. Um, if you're doing modular stuff, you're probably not going to play anything off of the album because you try to you do either have to take really detailed patch notes or just save different systems for different songs. So I'm curious when you guys get together to uh, to work on a set, do you try to maybe capture uh, an essence or a feel from a particular song or a group of songs from an album? Or do you just kind of make whatever you think sounds good? Yeah, the second, yeah. <laughs> I guess. it's just <laughs> We don't try to recreate any patch because it's just impossible i think for us at least so yeah because yeah. Uh, every knob position and every little detail and also what we play at the jam sessions it's very spontaneous in the moment and it's more fun <laughs> to be honest to just do uh -huh. another patch a <laughs> yeah. new one and uh, when somebody books us or asks if we want to play live we just to say that it's uh, yeah a new patch a new sound and I think people also find it quite fascinating that you can recreate it and it's unique also for every gig. So so mm -hmm. maybe that's also a plus point for that. Yeah, I think most people who are attracted to this type of music or this, this, this section of electronic music, that's just kind of expected. And, uh, and I think a lot of people enjoy that aspect of it. Um, but with the Panic Girl stuff, so you have like you have vocals and, and lyrics that you've written. So that that's must be a completely different uh, process of doing something uh, performative in that regard. I am right. That's true. Yeah, that's more um, planned, and uh, I do somewhat uh, like remixes then of the oh, tracks. Okay. 
Uh-huh. So I take little pieces out of the original tracks and then I also try to make something new out of it, but you still can hear the original song there. I like very much to play a little bit around with the melodies and all of that. So it's also fun for me on stage. I used to do a similar thing before I got into modular. I would I would kind of make mashup slash remixes out of, you know, tracks from my mm -hmm. couple different albums and kind of have pieces of, of two different songs going at once or something kind of like, I, I mostly stole that idea from Daft Punk Alive 2007. Ah, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was a huge influence for me. So when you're writing stuff like lyrics and actual songs, I, I just feel like in the, in the electronic world, especially um, the kind of sounds that you get with the Panic Girl stuff, it's, it's a, a crazy dark art to me or something. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> so I'm wondering, do you just, do you write like a, um, maybe a simple like chord progression and then, then lyrics and then write that song like in a really stripped down simple way and then kind of add to it? Or do you make the, the song and then add the lyrics later? Usually I, I add it later. So okay. um, for my first album for the Lowlands, that was quite some work for me because I had all the tracks composed and almost mixed as well. And after that, I, I started writing the lyrics. And uh, yeah, I don't know if it was the best way to do it because I had to <laughs> write like 12 lyrics then at once. <laughs> and it was a bit much <laughs> to write on in one go. And um, for example, for the Breeze EP, I didn't write lyrics. I didn't sing actual lines or words. Mm -hmm. It was just a, like a fantasy uh, language <laughs> that I just sang in the moment. Uh -huh. Somehow reminded me also when I was a little girl, I always tried to sing along the um, songs I heard at my parents, for example, but I didn't understand a word, of course, of the uh -huh. English words. So it was just, yeah. <laughs> nonsense <laughs> and so I did that with the Breeze EP somehow too and I like it quite much because I always could sing like E-ish stuff or like O-ish stuff that uh -huh. I didn't have to rely on the words or find a word that had exactly those O's or E's in it so I just could, uh -huh. could do it like I needed in that moment then. yeah <laughs> oh that's interesting I like that and before um, I know we're really I'm I'm really hitting like the the two like the two band stuff really hard. Um, we can we can move on from that. But I do have one more question. Um, and just how did Lucid Grain like what? How did that start? Um, so I met Anatole. We have a a local meetup, modular mm -hmm. meetup um, from time to time here in Munich, uh -huh. and um, that's where I met Anatole. And we just decided to meet for a jam session. Mm -hmm. because we both thought it would be fun not only to play for ourselves in the studio, but also to try to jam with another person. And yeah, and then we met and everybody had a patch prepared, as I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And uh, it turned out so good. It just clicked right away. And then we decided to try to make an album out of our jam sessions and after we had like, I think, eight or nine tracks, we sent it out to labels and even got a, a label contract yeah. then with Modular Field. That was really, really great. That's so cool because I, I feel like um, part of the Modular community, at least here in the, in the States, but it, it seems like it's just kind of the worldwide Modular community is it's really about community and, and people you know, enjoying and being enthusiastic about mm, something totally. together. Um, but you don't see a lot of people, you know, collaborating on actual music very often. I mean, it's, it's, it's not uncommon, but it's not the most, you know, most people are on their own. Um, so I imagine finding that collaboration within something like this must have been like just such a, a great feeling and it must be so much fun. I've, I've kind of jammed with some people before and it's been fun, but to have a jam session that led to a band, I mean, I, I've done that outside of modular and that feels great, but to do that with modular must've been quite a cool experience. Yeah, totally. I really enjoy it every time we meet. It's also when, for example, if I think, ah, my sounds this time, I don't know, they're okay, but they're not great. Mm -hmm. Then usually combining the sounds with his sounds, there's something new, something more exciting getting out of it. So um, 
that's really cool about it. Yeah, and I imagine those those patches that you bring to each other and then like combine each one of them probably changes in its own way to where it's more interesting to you than it was when you first brought it in, just by you know bouncing bouncing it off of another person's idea. So like totally, I, yeah. I just yeah, I just love that. It's so cool. Um, and uh, I think the last last thing I would like to talk about you do workshop stuff, right? Uh, from time to time, yeah. Okay, and uh, what 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 are those workshops like? Where where and and what are they? And how did how did that come about? Uh, so the last workshop um, I did was here in Munich at the Sonic Ground Festival. We played there live as well as Lucid Grain, and um, and I did a, a beginner workshop for women mostly, though men were um, welcome as well. Uh-huh. And I think there was a very nice opportunity to offer women some beginners uh, view into the modular world as well and yeah it was very nice okay have you heard of the s1 library yes yes i think that's a great idea and concept yeah they do i think they, so they've got one here in portland which is just a few hours from from where i'm at and i did talk to Alyssa derubis um i listened to that one yeah that was that. great oh cool <laughs> yeah that was that was such a, a yeah it was an honor to talk to her she's such a she does such cool stuff um yeah, and then they have one in Prague. So that seems like a, a pretty common thing that's going on right now, um, which I love seeing is, um, you know, talented women doing these workshops for, um, you know, for women because it, it could seem like a, a boys club from from the outside. So it's it's cool that, that there, there are avenues opening up for it to be less... Yeah, just less dudes. Let's get every, <laughs> let's get everybody involved. <laughs> I think that's. I hope that's changing more and more. I, I I think it's really cool to see you know people like you doing your workshops and and the S one thing. I mean, I imagine that's that's got to be a uh, a part of why it's getting more and more, you know, integrated as far as you know men and women and non-binary people and just all different cultures and, and people from, you know, all different backgrounds. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I'm, I'm just rambling now. I think what you're doing is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I think also with the social media stuff, if, if I or Alyssa post stuff about the modular and how we're patching our modulars, for example, that maybe other women see, okay, it's, looks quite easy then i know it in the beginning it can be quite overwhelming it looks very techy and uh, you need to have some basic uh, knowledge i guess when you start with a modular but after that it's yeah it's it's very much try and error and there's mm -hmm. especially nowadays you have so many tutorials online and blogs and yeah manuals you can read or you can go to meetups and and stuff and it's so much easier to get into modular these days than maybe nine years ago where you mostly had the Dupfer website with uh, information yeah so so i think it's, it's nice that you have so much information at hand and more and more women going into mm -hmm. it and trying it and also at the <laughs> workshop uh, at the sonic ground i found it very sweet that two of the women came to me afterwards and said oh they want to try it now and are very inspired and then they have to go to the local store and just check some modules out that was really sweet that's got to feel good something yeah like very that. that's so cool well i'm happy to hear you're doing that and um is there anything else that we haven't covered that you would like to talk about um let me think Oh, you know what? I I should have asked that after this because I just thought of something. <laughs> I'm I'm curious <laughs> of of so you you write for a couple different um, electronic gear publications, is that right? Yeah, that's right. I write for two print magazines here in Germany. Uh, okay, and you do you do gear reviews then, or what do you primarily focus on on what you write about? Um, I started. I did gear reviews too. At the moment, mm -hmm. I'm writing mostly the modular column where I just write about what interests me at the moment. Like, I think the last column was about um, a workshop I watched on the Schneider's Laden YouTube channel. Okay. That was a workshop by a surgeon that's a techno producer from UK. And he showed his setup, mm -hmm. his case, and he's playing um, nowadays mostly um, with the modular. And he's really doing big shows, like in front of a huge audience. And he showed how he 
build his case to be like an instrument so he doesn't mm -hmm. often exchange modules or he doesn't um, often unpatch oh. his uh, modular. So he just built it once and patched it once <laughs> and then learns how to use it like you play a violin or a piano, for example. And he showed what he could do with it. And I thought it was so cool because he, for example, he had a Turing machine, so a random CV generator. Um, as the melody generator, he, he patched it into a quantizer. Mm -hmm. And that was his main melody patch of his whole case. And I thought that was so, so cool because he also told that on some shows that the Turing machine just wasn't on his side and he just didn't get nice melodies out of it. And he had to, to just um, skip those melodies in front of that huge audience. But he also told that uh, the audience, they feel that he's really working there and just uh, he's really experimenting and pushing himself a little bit to, yeah, to get something more experimental and more exciting. And, uh, and also when he found a melody that he liked, he fed it into his octatrack, looped that section, and then he had his modules free again. And then he, for, for example, he made that same melody halftime and made a pad out of it. So it was very, very well thought through. So I love that concept. And I'm thinking about uh, trying it once to just really sit down and think of a patch where you can do tons of stuff with it. And then you, you have to learn it, how to perform with it. So that was really, really cool. And that was my last column, for example. Yeah, and, uh, and I started out with writing articles on sound pioneers. I love that very much. Um, like my first article was about Vangelis, for example, and another one about Rupert Neve or another one about Massive Attack or yeah, different people who inspire people or who invented or Ben Bird, for example, the sound designer of the Star Wars um, universe was very interesting as well and uh, that ended and then another topic like gear reviews came along and I um, tested many modules as well for a time and at the moment I'm writing mostly the the modular columns okay interesting have you have you heard of the the um, I think it's called born in waves the Suzanne Chiani documentary Uh, not yet, no. You should watch that. I think if you're interested in Sound Pioneers, um, what she did for advertising in the 80s with her electronic uh, equipment and a lot of the Buchla stuff is pretty pretty amazing. Like the popping of the Coke bottle and the sound of the, the bottle pouring. Like she was making all that on like a Buchla and stuff. Oh, ah, okay. Yeah, I think you'd really, really enjoy it. It's uh, called Born in Waves, I think. Born in uh, Waves, yeah, great. Thank yeah. you. Um, so was this the writing, um, these writing gigs, is that kind of what got you... Um, caught the eye of uh, Kim Bjorn and Chris Meyer for the patch and tweak section? Um, Kim, he just contacted me via Facebook. Okay. So uh, I think he just uh, discovered me there and um, just asked if I wanted to be part of it. And uh, that was a quite a surprise. I, I'm really honored to be in that book. It's such a beautiful roundup about modulars and uh, yeah just great to be in there <laughs> yeah it's so cool congratulations um it must Thank feel you. great <laughs> um yeah it's crazy how people get a like i got a hold of you like most of my guests just through instagram and it's it's crazy how how connected the whole scene is now all over the world so there is some good to social media i mean there's a lot of bad too but <laughs> but some good too yeah yeah <laughs> i agree well this is uh this has been a great great conversation i feel like uh i think i think our listeners are gonna take a lot of what you've said and, and try some stuff out. And uh, I feel like, I feel like I've learned a lot. So thank you for that. Um, Great. Thank you for inviting yeah, me. <laughs> absolutely. And um, do you want to try a patch challenge? Yes. Yes. Let's try that. Cool. I don't know if it's my, my strength <laughs> to do it in <laughs> such a quick time, but I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, I, I, I think, I think you'll be fine. It's, it's a lot of uh, people get nervous. I actually just did one myself and it, it is nerve wracking, but it's, uh, I, I haven't heard one that's turned out bad yet. So, um, I think, yeah, I hope that I, I, I was trying to actually make you feel better and I feel like that could have actually put more pressure <laughs> no, on you. No, so. that's, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So your, your adjective is, um, dark and your noun is medicine, dark medicine. Wow. 
All right. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> All right. This is going to be a fun, quick little demo. And uh, I'm going to bring the Livestock Electronics Bang Oscillator back into the mix. We haven't heard from that in a while. Um, so let's... Uh, and then I'm going to put that through the stereo dipole filter, of course. So let's bring up the pole A output. I've got the uh, the bang going into uh, DivKid mutes to split the signal so I can put it into the A and B output. But let's check out this pole A output right now in bandpass mode. No modulation. Check out this frequency knob. Stereo frequency. Pretty fun, but let's uh, let's take a signal from the LFO ramp from Pittsburgh Modular Microvolt 3900 and put it into the resonance. Um, and maybe just for fun, let's use some of these inputs on the, uh, the bang oscillator. So I'm going to put um, a skewed LFO from the Ornament and Crime that I just got from After Later Audio, 8HP. Got hemispheres on it, pretty excited. So skewed FO into the odd. And then let's take a... Uh, the vector morph and put it into the even. Well, let's put it into the chunks input. So we're in nice video game land territory. Let's bring the uh, let's bring the B output up. I'll put that in low pass mode. And then I've got a really fast maths signal coming into the uh, the FM input on the B side. Mess with that stereo frequency manually. is so much fun uh yeah go check out steadystatefate.com to learn more about it and go check out the microvolt 3900 from pittsburgh modular and uh the livestock electronics bang gotta give that a shout out because it's such a cool oscillator and uh again really enjoying enjoying my 8 hp ornament and crime from after later audio So yeah, what what was the experience like with the with the getting the fifteen minutes and and some just random words? Uh, it was really fun, uh, especially dark and medicine were two words I could uh, associate something with with those words. So uh, I think it's okay. We'll see. <laughs> I'm always interested to see how people take the words and apply them to to the patch. So um, was there any part that was particularly just for the dark aspect um or did you take the words kind of in a like how literally or did you try to make more of a feel or i guess what was the thought process behind going into it i think i um took it more like a feel so uh mm -hmm. i actually wanted everything to sound dark and i um started with a uh, with the kick drum i tuned it quite low and um with a long decay i also have a mm -hmm. uh, synth sound that is a little bit haunting i would say and then i try to uh, find sounds that sound like medicine to me so uh, more how can i describe it more um, higher pitched and uh -huh. more technical maybe in something in that direction i don't know exactly how to <laughs> explain that 
<laughs> yeah, I realized when I said, did you take them in a literal sense? It's like, how do you take, how do you make a literal interpretation of dark medicine? So yeah, it wasn't a very, it, it, it is uh, it is a weird exercise, but yeah, I think it's, it's ultimately pretty fun and I, I really look forward to hearing yours. Did you have anything in particular as far as like gear or, or, um, uh, techniques that, that you wanted to talk about when it came to the patch? Um, I don't think anything in particular. So I just, I just used what fit in the moment best for me. So maybe the folk tag was, I think, a good choice uh -huh. for that because it's, <laughs> it can sound quite dark and a little bit lo-fi as well. Uh, okay. Are you talking about the altar? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Sorry. Exactly. Yeah, I want one of those so bad. <laughs> it's really great. I, you can do so many yeah. things with it. Very cool. Well, I can't wait to hear it. And is there anything that you want to shout from the modular mountaintops or point people in the direction of before we sign off? Um, just maybe that two albums are coming out this year. Uh huh. One from my solo project, Pentacle, and one of Lucid Grain. They're coming out on uh, Modular Field and I can't wait to share them. I have to wait a little bit longer, but I'm sure I'll write something on the social media as soon as I can tell more. Yeah, and let me know. I'll, uh, I'll mention it. Oh, great. I'll mention it when, they, when you release them in uh, an intro oh, of a great. future Thank episode. You. So. And uh, PanicGirl666 on Instagram, right? <laughs> yes. I love that. I love that you added the 666 <laughs> yes. to it. It's <laughs> so cool. Okay. Well, cool. And thank you so much for uh, spending, spending some time with us. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Likewise. All right. Let's check out Dark Medicine from PanicGirl.
Well, that was dark, but I feel like my ailments have been cured from its medicinal qualities. I'm such a dork. Thank you, Martha, for coming on the show. I appreciate you taking your time to do that. Um, Don't forget to check out the Stereo Dipole Filter from Steady State Fate, um, the Pittsburgh Modular Microvolt 3900. And uh, if you're looking for a small ornament in crime, go check out After Later Audio and uh, keep an eye out on what Recovery Effects has been up to. We've got a new oscillator out, um, and I'm hoping I'll be demoing it for you soon. But yeah, until next week.